I'm Alan Kogan. Join me as I tour the country tasting different whiskeys and discussing the craft of distillation with local distillers, whiskey lovers, and even those who are new to the culture of spirits. Welcome to The Kogan Conversation. In this episode, I visited my hometown of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and hit up one of my favorite places, Great Lakes Distillery. I had the pleasure of sitting down with their head distiller, Nate Newbrow, on site in the tasting room. Enjoy the listen. Cheers. Well, Nate, thank you for having me. No problem. Anytime. We're we're here in the uh, Great Lakes Distillery at the tasting room. I've been here so many times, and I think it's just an honor to be welcomed here and to taste some of your whiskeys with you. But I want to start off with just with you, Nate. How'd you get into this? I mean, it was pretty dumb luck. Uh, just years, years ago, about 2008, uh, a new guy and my predecessor here, Doug, just from around town and bartended in town at that point for about 10 years. And it was, hey, do you want to show up one day and help bottle? Cool. You want to show up tomorrow and help bottle and sweep the floors? Cool. You want to show up the next day and do another task? And like, <laughs> Then 2015, I took over production and Doug left and that's about all it is. It's like, uh, I liken it to old school, like tattoo apprenticeships. Sure. You just show up and you learn something and then tomorrow you do that and you learn something new. And yeah. Did you have a previous affinity for like distilling or whiskey? Well, I mean, oh, well, <laughs> a little bit, uh, it's, uh, history wise, I come from a line of mountain people. There was a point in time where I, I, I haven't physically checked in about 15 years, but there was a point in time where I could walk you to my family still in the backwoods in West Virginia. Wow. But that that is probably going away with the expansion of people over there. But uh, it just feels right. And that's what I tell people. Like, I don't I don't. I don't feel like I come to work every day. I feel like I come here and I do something for a hobby. Yeah, absolutely. Like something that doesn't feel like work. So I don't, I don't mind sitting down with people like you wanting to talk about it. Like I was, like I was telling you before that other podcast, like we shut it down and then just people started coming up and talking. We talked another two hours with sure. just people that were sitting here and they wanted to know different things about it. Like I just don't, like, I don't find it annoying to other there's other people in my life that find it annoying when i get going pretty good but i don't find it annoying to talk about that excess right yeah. right well i think that's one of the beauties of, of craft distilling that's what kind of what i'm doing with this is i i, I like talking to people who are doing this smaller operation because especially in milwaukee it's a it's really you central standard and twisted path and that's kind of really it around here it's, it's especially in the past few years it's been a really great thing to be able to like uh 20 2020 off a year around around the horn but i think it was somewhere in june or july of that year when we were the last people in this business in the state still being able to do what we love and so to have the ability to do that and not have to switch off and go make hand sanitizer or package something or just to package something like that, just to put your name out there and on shelves, like feels good. It feels like you are embraced by the community and you know, 
you uh, enough people went out to their liquor store and looked for our label to, that kept me in a job, right? Which was great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, I, I, I've, I've since moved away from Milwaukee, sadly, but every time I've been back here, I think I was just telling uh, my friends about this. That I, I, I come back to, uh, to Great Lakes to for just get a cocktail. Sure, I love the space. Yeah, and do the tour because why not? Not that I haven't had had everything, but it's a it's a worthwhile tour. Yeah. So, uh, tell me a little bit about Great Lakes. What what how when did you guys start, and what makes Great Lakes special? Well, it started uh, story goes to two thousand four. Uh, guy was supposedly sitting in a bar and saw like there's there's right on the first crest of these craft breweries. So he sat in a bar and said like, okay. There are 90% Wisconsin beers here, but I still have to get a Stoli. I still have to get a Belvedere, like all these imported vodkas. I was like, okay, I'm going to do one. And it took two years to change laws from prohibition to be able to make, package, house alcohol in the state of Wisconsin. And so 2006, the first bottle rolled off the line here. Not here. We were, uh, the business was up at Capital and Holton. Yeah. In an old, uh, I think it's an old milk processing factory. But then, uh, yeah, since then, gin was 2008. And then we have 36 SKUs on the regular market now. So that's awesome. It's just been an expanding thing. We moved to this facility in 2008, mm-hmm. and you, if you regularly come here, you know what it looked like about eight months ago, yeah. a year ago, yep. jam-packed up here. Yeah. Uh, we got a facility not that far from here to move just about 500 barrels to, and now we have this, and I'm not anxious and claustrophobic <laughs> all the time. Right. There was a point in time where I'd walk in and just start immediately... <laughs> twitching because I thought the walls were closing in on me. <laughs> but at the time that's a good that that was a good problem. Right. Because you have to have whiskey aging to back up the whiskey that you have on the shelf. Absolutely. So now that that's out of here, it's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could imagine. It is a good problem to have. But when when you when Great Lakes first started, were you sourcing anything just to make some product oh, on for the shelf? Sure. That one right there, the, uh, the KK whiskey for a long time, uh, there was a bourbon sourced for it from uh, Midwest Grain Products down in Indiana. And then we would blend in our own single malt whiskey and uh, rye whiskey, kind of make it at the same time be able to go into the brown market mm-hmm. and uh, be able to put something that is distinctly ours. Right. Since then, we have stopped buying in and I've been able to produce enough every year that we're, we make that bourbon, we make that single malt, we make that rye whiskey and it's a hundred percent in this room now, every bottle that goes out the door. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of people who I've talked to about with craft distilleries, the thing that comes up often is the TLC that's involved with actually making this small process versus sure. the big players like Jim Beam or Jack Daniels. Of course. Not to poo-poo them. They still have a good product, but sure. they're a big corporation. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me a little bit about how that TLC makes the whiskey better or maybe unique for Great Lakes. I mean, better. <laughs> I mean, better is... Subjective. Subjective. Yes. Yeah. Anybody... 
says anything about one of my whiskeys or somebody else's whiskey. Like, okay, that's your opinion, and you're entitled to it. But, uh, I mean, it's always been... We do runs that my my finishing still is 65 gallons. So if something goes wrong with that 65 gallons, I can chop that out and still have the same batch of alcohol that has been good. Sure. And then figure out some way to make that better and blend it back in. And that, that's kind of what the process is in general, is just a rectification of something you want in a mixture and a rectification to make it better. And if you screw that up, you can just pipe it right back in and try and make it better again. Sure. So it's just the equipment wise, like the, the big boys are playing with 2000 gallon stills, something like that. And it's not that they don't pay attention to detail or any of that. It's just, there's just less grasp sure. on it. You've got a big steam train that's going this way. You're not going to be able to stop it and go, well, something wasn't right about that. Yeah. It's just going to keep going. Right. Right. So like here, I do 4,000 liters of a whiskey mash at a time, which nothing. Yeah. It's a couple drops compared to what your James Beam and your uh, Jack Daniels down in Kentucky are doing. So it's just, I mean, it's what it is. It's what we can do. We do the max output of what this warehouse does. And I like to think that we do it pretty well. Oh, well, I'd agree with that. But yeah. I, I think part of that plays in the marketing too. I mean, that locally sourced, uh, local it's, small shop, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely trending that way. And it has been for, I don't know, 15 years now. Sure. And it's a point in the market when we, when we got our DSP in Wisconsin, there's 57 distilleries in the country. I think I just read something a couple weeks ago that said by the end of next year, it's estimated there's going to be 3,500. Wow. So while that growth has been huge, it's still nothing compared to like, I think it was 3,100 that were shut down in Virginia due to prohibition. Mm -hmm. So as the market expands, as all these people pop up, you're going to have this localization of people that just like they just want to go buy from their neighbor right you don't want to you don't you don't care what the guy 10 miles away does or hey we'll go over there and get one if we want every once in a while but if we need it right now we'll go to the guy right here right right and that's kind of that's where that's where the the market is headed and the consumer is headed but it's still not to the point where like anybody big has to worry about it <laughs> right no jack, jack's not going down his bank account's just fine right right well i, I that's actually very funny about jack daniels that just made me think of it like i don't know if you've ever had uh, nelson's greenbrier uh i don't know if i have either so they're uh they were the original tennessee whiskey way back in the day and that's they, not the uh uncle uh, no that's uncle nearest yeah that's, that's the guy okay, who that's not that one right no 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 okay um, Uncle Nearest is the, I think the, the slave that yeah. was under Jack Daniels yeah. and whatever. That's a cool story too. But, uh, Nelson's Greenbrier, they were the first Tennessee whiskey in okay. Tennessee and they still have their DSP because their great, great, great grandson of the original guy, huh. uh, had the same namesake and went to the County and said, Hey, I found the ingredients in an old book in my parents' attic. And he, he was able to secure the patent for the label, the okay. bottle and the DSP. Sweet. 
so he started back up again and now they're so small they're still considered a craft distillery sure but they're on the market for 35 bucks and they're better than jack daniels in my yeah. opinion but it's kind of neat yeah. But, yeah that is pretty great yeah so if you find it it's, it's all around here now too their yeah. distribution kicked off but and there's there's nothing that says that uh that this market is decreasing no no so like it'll get more and more like that it'll get more terroir based yep. like the east side of Wisconsin's green is worse than the west side of Wisconsin's green and all that. But like it's it'll get there eventually. But for right now, we do like it's pretty good. Yeah. Tell me about the product. So uh, you're you drink local, local yeah, stuff. Is sure. everything locally sourced as far as a mash or as far as I can. OK, or as close as I can. I should say that currently all my raw grain is coming from East Troy, Wisconsin. Uh, we got a miller out there who grows everything on site. He's got. He's got a shit ton of acres, but he grows out there and he's trying to put a malting floor together. So eventually malted barley I'll source out there. But for right now, I still go to Brees up in Chilton, Wisconsin for that. And it's it. He he can estimate his crop and project his numbers so many years out because he's doing the melting and the, the milling and the growing and everything where he can guarantee my price for the next six years. <laughs> and in today's business and industry, that's ridiculous. That's amazing. Yeah. So he can guarantee that I'm getting <laughs> the same, the same price on rye this year that I will in 2028. Uh, yeah. I'll get on board with that every day of the week. <laughs> no kidding. So it's, it's, it behooves everybody in the business to do that. And like, like, like you having podcasts with people like me, I would appreciate if you went to these people, we won't talk about who you named you were at yesterday and go, where do you get your green? Right. Cause I can tell you that they aren't. <laughs> and I can put the guy that I buy from at a seat right here, 20 minutes from now, if I need to. So it's, it's a process that helps my business out and at the same time it should be across the board that that's what you want to do but you don't have to right that's just the thing yeah but there are people who people who say they're in my state my town say they do that there's nobody that holds their feet to the flame mm. and there should be right you should <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow nick <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of product, should we uh, try for a sample? What do you want to start with? What, what makes the sense? You're the you're the you're head the distiller. I'm Go the host. Oh boy, this is the bourbon. So still an oak. Yep. It, it was uh, just this came out. Oh man, 2018. Okay. So we've been almost on the market for six years with this. It's our flagship bourbon. Uh, Back when I took over in 2015, the guy, the owner, uh, said, whatever you got to do, just put whiskey programs in order. Because at that time, we didn't really have the money to do it all the time. Sure. So he's like, whatever it takes, figure it out, put a whiskey program together. So, boom, started with bourbon. And actually, it was supposed to be an Irish whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Because the owner and one of the genius salesmen uh, walks into my office and goes, hey, 
You see, everybody likes Jameson and Telemore do these days. We should make one of those. I'm like, cool. <laughs> so I made a bourbon that is uh, high corn content, high malt content, kind of mimicking those flavors. But at the same time, like, I can't stand Irish whiskey. I right. think it's blander than hell. And just from the process like there are definitely some good irish whiskeys out there your green dot i'll drink that all day your red breast of course if somebody wants to buy me that i'll drink it i was gonna say uh but i think that just the through the process like you're using all used barrels with that you're using a very sweet mash with it just process wise is not something that's in my flavor profile sure it just tastes like young bourbon right yeah. So, I uh, yeah, it basically took a mirrored uh, 67% corn, 20 or 11% rye, and like 17 or 18%, whatever, whatever's left in malt. It's a simple three grain whiskey, and I think it drinks pretty good. I oh. get, I get whiskeys samples thrown here. All the time where people go to, oh, this is a five grain bourbon. Oh, this is a six grain bourbon. And I can never taste the millet. Right. Or the quinoa (laughs) in your bourbon. Rice cauliflower. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So in the same vein that like I've tried to pull back ingredients and bring everything back here from here from the area around here I also tried to pull back on the nonsense like sure. we used to tr- we did we used to do trials in 10 gallon barrels 30 liter barrels around there got rid of all those like i understand the math and how how surface area works and how like if you fill supposedly if you fill a 30 liter barrel uh because more of the liquid touches the outside, like supposedly it gets more age faster than a 53 gallon barrel. Cool. Uh, people have been doing this for hundreds of years. So I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do that. Yeah. So it's just kind of simplifying the process. The wife fix was not broken. Exactly. Yeah. Like you, there's a lot of people in our industry that I think outsmart themselves sure. out of a good product oversmart themselves out of a good product. Maybe that's the term. Yeah. But this is real simple. Well, that's what we try to do. I'll cheers to that. Oh, that's just a good bourbon. Yeah. It's nice and sweet. It's rounded. It's got a good mouthfeel. I've got a couple years of doing maybe 12 barrels a year of a two-grain bourbon. I've gone down to that replaces the malted barley in this with malted rye. Okay. So that'll be out sometime. I don't know. What's the uh, age on this? That? The flagship these days is run about 32, 34 months. Okay. So nothing super aged because it's got bourbon on the label. People snatch it up like it's going out of style these days. So I can't hold on to a lot of it. Was that a, was there a little bit of a trial and error with, with that sweet spot of like, oh, well, 33 months is like a, a good or. 40s too much. No, that's that's just how long I can leave it in there. That's wild. Yeah. I like love that. We it has to be two years. Right. And then like you sit there and you go, okay, I'm trying to let it sit as long as possible before I before I have to bottle it. But if you have to bottle it, 
have to make money off of it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's just, it's not necessarily a sweet spot. It's, I would love to tell you that we science the hell out of it. <laughs> and this is the exact flavor potential. But no, it's just when when you need to make money. Yeah. And when you need to pay for that barrel. And when you need to pay for future barrels. Right. So about these days, uh, we just put the bottle and bonds on the market last year. And we'll be able to keep them on the market because I've been able to squirrel away about eight eight barrels of bourbon a year and just hide those in a corner. Right. And at our production max, which we pretty much are, that's what I can hang on to. That's so tough. like this we started doing the bottle and bond bourbon. We'll we'll have four barrels of that every year. Next year or whatever, two years down the road, I'll have four four barrels of an eight year or six year. And then that's probably it. And I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon because that ramp for bourbon is still going up. Yeah. Yeah. So if as soon as I can make more than I can sell in a year. That's cool. Well, and that's one of the things I love about a craft distillery, too, is that not every still and oak bottle of bourbon batch is going to be the same. Correct. That's There's literal impossibilities. Behind. Right. I, I, I love that. Do you do any blends with your bourbons or anything? That uh, now with the bourbon. Now with the bourbon. Now with the bourbon. We do some rye ones because we make too much rye. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's about the opposite of that with the rye quotient of just America today and the market. Yeah, we, we have to discover new ways to empty barrels as far as that product's going. Like, and the the flagship rye that's up into 40 months already just because I get to have it sit around and pick whichever ones I want. That's cool. Like I would enjoy doing with the bourbon, but can't right. Don't have, don't have the time and the equity. Yeah. I don't have 4 million barrels that I'm sitting on. (laughs) Uh, So like we do, we do a couple blends with the rye. We do a touch of honey one, which is actually pretty good. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. And I honestly poo-pooed that when they first brought the idea to me. And then you sit around and you think about it. Like, I don't know if, like, however many whiskeys you've tasted, however many mango habanero whiskeys you've tasted, have I actually just tasted whiskey and honey? And you go, okay, well, let's try that. Sure. So I'll tell you straight to your face, that touch of honey is rye whiskey. I do a little bit of orange extract that we make in-house, a little bit of ginger extract we make in-house, and two gallons of honey. Wow. From Callus Honey. It's actually their orange blossom honey, because I thought that would pair nicely. So that is exactly what's in that bottle. You go to the guy that makes wild turkey American honey, and he's not going to have the same story for you. No. <laughs> so it was just a... As you get older, you start taking what you think and rework it. Because in my late 20s and early 30s, I'd have been like, flavored whiskey, full of shit, I'm never doing that. Yeah. But now I'm like, well, I mean... It depends. Yeah. It could be a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's full of flavors. And you sit around and you go, have I actually had a whiskey that is just whiskey and honey? Well, let's do it. Yeah. No so, kidding. I was so that came out July, right? This year's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is our second go at it. Oh, second go. Okay. Yeah. 
I was I was here uh, at a, I was on a bachelor party uh, in Milwaukee. I flew in and uh, I encouraged the group to come do a tour here because why not? I'm the whiskey guy in the group, and I said, "Let's go pretty, taste things." Pretty popular thing to do. Yeah. At a party. <laughs> yeah, I think we were one of three there here that day, which is great. Sounds about right. But uh, I, I that was the first time I had the touch of honey. Sure. And again, I'm, I kind of poo poo that in my my like the, 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 the frontal lobe of my nerd brain of yeah. whiskey. I'm like, ugh. It was great, but it's quality stuff. That's why it's whiskey. Forgive the term, whiskey nerds all over the place do that. You don't want to sit and. And it's not, it's not that you're wrong. You, I, I don't want to sit and drink caro syrup <laughs> right. in a whiskey that I don't know where it came from with some weird things that you can call natural flavors. <laughs> right. I agree. But if you have a business that you've enjoyed spirits from before and they go, hey, this is what this is. It's three, four things in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. And it's locally sourced, so yeah. why not? Well, I think what makes sense, probably, maybe, should we go to the, the, the bottle and bond bourbon? We just did the Stone Oak sure. standard bourbon. Tell me about this one. I know this is a limited series. So, like I was saying, I don't get to hang on to a lot of... Uh, I don't get to hang on to a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, this one is probably going to be, like I said, four barrels a year. Uh, and... It, it follows the rules of bottle and barn. So you have to age it for four years in the, in the original new char oak cask. Uh, I believe the rules say that it has to be one distiller that makes it at one distillery and one distilling season, which are arbitrarily set up January through June and July through December because, I don't know, apparently that matters. <laughs> and then uh, you bottle it at 100 proof. Right. The thing about this one is this is basically the way I see it, a statement to our customer and our community, because you won't see places that source in bourbon being able to put one of these on the shelf. Right. Because you have to make it there. Yeah. Same place you bottle it. So this is a statement that says this was all made right in house. That's cool. And because our label got approved, that is exactly what it is. You won't probably, I don't know if they're making it, but like you won't see a Templeton Rye put a bottle and bond version on because they buy most of it in. And sure. you can't put that label on that thing. Right, right. Yeah. Like we have to submit every label to the TTB portion of the government and they have to look at your recipe. They have to look at your processes and agree to let you put that on. And so bottled and bond there used to be there used to be a bondsman that would come here come every day to your distillery and open up your bonded area and close your bonded area at the other one at the end of the day now there's no reason to do that there's not enough manpower to do that so it's just you get the government to agree to let you put that on the label yeah i don't know about buying at a liquor store but liquor stores don't make it so i don't know i'm sure there's some kind of caveat for Merchandising, yeah. I'm, uh, who sure. knows? But so this is phenomenal. I like it. We that, got uh, double gold at the San Francisco Spirits Award this year. Uh, I plan on doing it the next two years and getting a platinum because 
I'm, I haven't I haven't checked, but I don't think anybody's ever won one of those in Wisconsin. Right. So if all the judges agree that they give you a gold medal in a year, then you get double gold. And if you do that for three years, you get a platinum. Right. And then I'll probably get a raise. <laughs> so that's what I'm shooting for. Do you think, is any of that kind of just bullshit? Or is it well, a lot? The, the uh, awards, there, or is it? There are a lot of awards. Out, oh, actually, there. Are, okay, there are there are a lot of awards out there that are just. You send your product in. You send a check with that product. Yeah, I was gonna say, and then you're gonna win something. Yeah. Uh, the San Francisco International Spirits Awards has been. They're the, they're the peak. has been yep. the Oscars of the industry for. As long as I've heard about it. Yeah, probably the last 50 years at least. Yeah. So that is why I, uh, I don't know if you can't tell. I'm, I'm not in a huge into uh, being competitive <laughs> and awards and stuff. Right? We've got some medals up there. If you want to go look at them, that's fine. But as far as I've been able to Google, no one has won a platinum in Wisconsin. Mm-mm. I want it. So Hell yeah. That is that is the goal with this one and the bottle and bond rye. I think it's a pretty good. So yeah. that's that's the goal. And I guess it's nice to have goals in life. Yeah. But I think that'll be, I don't know. I don't know. When did you start doing the bonded? Last year. Last year was the first year. Yeah. That was the last year where I actually got, the 2018 was the first year that I actually had eight leftover barrels at the end of the year. So that's why they got squirreled away into a corner. Yeah, yeah. And forgotten about. For another two years. So it's definitely, even with the 100 proof, you get way more flavor than the 86 that the flagship goes out at. So. Yeah. It's a lot more sweetness on that. Exactly. Very cool. I dig it. If you take a poop in a box and label it bourbon, it'll get sold for about 30 bucks. So when, when we put together a whiskey program, bourbon, obviously. But your next designation is rye whiskey. So we did... Uh, what I like to think is a pretty distinct rye, which is uh, 70, 76% raw rye and then malted rye on top of that. Yeah. That's it. There's no filler corn because a lot of places put in corn to add some sweetness, and but corn's also an easier grain to work with and it'll bump up your proof gallons per every batch that you get. So you rarely see, even though uh, if you designate a rye, a rye whiskey, 51% of that mash bill has to be rye. Often, often, you will see them bump up with whisk, with wheat, with corn. You'll see other grains in there just to beef up the amount that you get at the end. So with ours, it was just like, cut out the BS, 100% rye. This percentage, you have to have some kind of malt in there for uh, enz- enzymatic purposes and sugar conversion. And so we're like, oh, no, change it instead of malted barley. We use malted rye. And that's where that came from. And I think we did a pretty good job making a very distinct rye on the market. Now, specifically the bottle and bond, same thing as before. I got to find ways to get rid of rye whiskey. So then when we had this, be able to go bottle and bond. Oh, oh, I mean, yeah, we're going to do that with the other one too. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So anything, anything that comes from this place will often come in pairs and have a bourbon version <laughs> and a rye version just because those were the two flagships. Those are the two we started with. Oh, like we have, if there's 
a bourbon in our house to be able to make an age statement. There's definitely rye barrels sitting right next to it that are the same age. So it's it's dumb not to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just there's no specific going out. I'm going to make specifically a bottle and bond rye. It's just like, oh, they're old enough now. Oh, yeah, let's sell some that way, too. It's a different expression of the same juice. Same. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I get into is the the differences uh, of bottles at the liquor store that are the exact same juice. Yeah. My favorite one that I like to tip people to is the uh, gr- the old granddad 110. Old granddad 110 is the same juice as your $50 bottle of Basil Hayden's. Is it 50 anymore? Might be more than that. I think it's like 65 now. Yeah. Yeah. Same juice as that, just only four years old and 110 proof. Yeah. But if you look at the label, that little silver medallion on there, it's got his name right under it, Basil Hayden. Yep. So that's delicious. And I'll buy that every day of the week for 20 bucks. Yeah. We always do. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the part of the market that I enjoy. Yes. Like your Rittenhouse Rise that you can still get for $16 a bottle. Yes. I'll drink the hell out of. Melicorn. Yeah. Melicorn. People love the Melicorn these days. Uh, All you kids need Melicorn. (laughs) It's such a stupid looking bottle, but it's it great. Is. It's really stupid. Uh, well, how about we try the rye? We thought about rye enough. So rye, just in nature, is going to be more spicy. Yep. And you're going to get, you can have the same amount weight-wise in grain that you do in any other whiskey, but you're going to get less of it because it's a thick bitch. <laughs> and just, if you want to get down to the science of it, the, the rye cell is infinitely harder to break down than your corn, than your wheat, than your uh, your barley. So it's uh, eh. <laughs> there are a lot of things that this product does to my equipment that are hundreds of times easier when you're making bourbon, just oh. because of the corn content. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. It's it it's. I don't want to say it pays off more, but it, it's it's more of a. I don't know. It's more of a feeling of accomplishment drinking this one than even that one. Like, okay. you're just like, this was a hard, I know this was harder to make. <laughs> so I'm going to sit here and enjoy this yeah. a little bit more. <laughs> you definitely get more black pepper. There is less of that bold, like, sweet mouth, mouth feel for, that you get with every single bourbon. Like, it's a it's a think a man's drink. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. I, I I think so. Full transparency. I've had this before, and it has never been my favorite. It's good, sure, but um, it's a lot more of an earthy rye than I've had before. Yeah. And this having been back to back to the bourbons now, sure. I have a whole different appreciation for the sweetness that's in there. Sure. So, the the rye grain specifically is very. Uh, I think the fancy term is terroir based. Yeah, yeah. So you can get corn from any grain supplier that has it. Mm-hmm. Now, grain suppliers, they always supplement with other, like you just have to in the business. Like you're not going to be able to grow enough corn. If you're, if you're a breeze, you're not going to be able to grow enough corn to put in that bag. And have your name on it every time. So you're always going to have phone numbers in the back of your phone. We call back, hey, do you have corn? I'll take it. So with corn being such a 
commodity in this country and the whatever what do they call them the GMOs and all that like you have no idea your corn right like you don't know if it's genetically modified you don't know if where where it's necessarily coming from even even though who you're buying it from rye on the other hand in the in this country we grow rye for bread we grow rye for uh whiskey and we go rye for uh the little uh gardetto chips yes and that's pretty much it <laughs> so like wherever wherever you buy your rye grain across the country it's probably gonna be made pretty close to there sure no matter what sure just because it's not as much as a commodity, as much as a, like, we need corn to fuel our cars. We need corn to make corn syrup. We need corn to do all these other things. So we have to make as much of it as possible. Yeah. This is not that. So I, when you say an earthy flavor to it, I feel that that is where it comes from. Absolutely. Just you are standing on the ground where this got made. I love that sentiment. So whenever I talk to my friends about uh, rye whiskeys or introduce them to everyone knows what bourbon is yeah. um, but they think of like a rye they always uh, misinterpret that rye spice for the harshness of the liquor oh sure their brain kind of goes sure. ooh that's spicy that's you, hot uh, it's, it's about a 70-30 split up yeah so your your most likely your spice in the rye that you drink will be from the grain yep there are like like I was saying before, like rye is the hardest grain to work with. It's the, it's a fickle mistress, and sometimes you hate it. So there's there's times when I've screwed it up, and you get a mash that boils all the way through still, and you get mad at it. And there's companies that don't have the ability to double back and reclean it up, like I was saying before. So when you treat it wrong, <laughs> man, I hate the. Okay, so I did I did that Master Distillers TV show last year. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And as much as uh, what's his name, uh, Tickle, that guy goes on TV to play the buffoon. If he, as soon as the camera's off, he's a pretty smart fella. <laughs> yeah. And somebody was asking him about rye. I'm like, how do you make it less fiery? Because that's what they call it in the back. Like it's fiery. And he's like, well. If I went and made you into a gas, and then I brought you back into your salad form real quick, you'd probably be pretty pissed about it. Yeah. And I was like, that, damn it. That should not make that much sense. <laughs> That's pretty smart. So it's just the, like there's these people having to do everything fast and having to do, like, you, you do it fast, you do it hot, you get a fiery product. Sure. And it, as much as the guy's an idiot on TV, He's also pretty smart about his business. <laughs> so that's that's my one takeaway from being on TV. <laughs> Shall we break out the bonded rye? I love the comparison. Sure. I got an email a couple months back that Discovery did not buy my episode for season four. So hopefully they're trying to repackage it into a season five, but no promises. So I like... The guys on the show are very intelligent about their business. They definitely play characters on TV. And I had good time sitting around. And it's very, as far as this business is growing and everything, it is rare that I get to sit in a group 
with 15 other distillers mm. and just shoot the shit about business. Like you said, there's me, Twisted Path, Central Standard, in town. I've never sat at the table with that guy, with those guys. So, like, it's very rare when uh, 15 of us get together and, like, the hotel that they bought out for us, there was a barbecue going every night in the back of and we would just sit around and shoot the shit and what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And it, it, was, it was a great time. Yeah. And I have, I brought back maybe a dozen ideas of things to do around here and stuff that I've already put into production that I wouldn't have had from not going. Sure. So, it's a good time. Yeah. All right. So the bonded rye, that smells way different to me. You're going to get more nose off of it just from the fact of less water. Yeah. Right. Right. Ooh. Oh, so much more. It's much more flavor. That's why I like higher proof whiskeys. I dig it. Well, okay. So now I have to ask you. I know we we have. I want to. I want to power for the dirty Helens too before we, we get off this. But what's sure. your what's your favorite? I mean, as far as mine go, I guess. How about this? What's your favorite to make, and what's your favorite to drink? That's tough. <laughs> I, I have. Here's the thing. And you're not the first person to ask. You won't be the last. Mm -hmm. And you're not the first person that's going to get this story. It's occasion. It is what you want to do. Um, if I am going out for a Friday night with a lady and I want to last like all Friday night and not black out, I'm not going to touch bottle and bond rye. <laughs> I'm not going to touch bottle and bond bourbon. I'm going to keep it down to... The 86 proof that the flagship bourbon goes at. Have it in a cocktail. Have a good time. Keep the party rolling. Yes. If I'm at home and I know that I'm going to have two glasses of whiskey with a couple high proof like stouts or IPAs like old people do, <laughs> I'm going to kick it up. Sure. And go to that go to that bottle and bottle rack. Go to that overproof whiskey. It's 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 occasional, and you have to know your body and you have to know what you can drink. There are there are people in this world, myself included, that cannot drink gin. Mm. And I like there was there's a point in time in this town when I went when I went out and a lot of people uh, bartending knew me and they knew if I walked into your establishment, asked you for a, a gin and seltzer, well, smack me in the face, turn me around, kick me right the hell out because <laughs> I'm looking for a fight. <laughs> and just you have to figure and the, it's. If you look at, I don't know, the science of it and the flavors of it, like the the oils in juniper affect my bodily body differently because I could go out and drink just the same amount of Jack Daniels and hug every guy that I come in contact with. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just life. <laughs> so like when you when you ask like what do you drink? all the time or what, what's your favorite well i have secrets that i have to drink all the time and test that and make sure that that's getting to the point in rnd uh so right now that one is my favorite but it, whiskey man i'm not a proof head 
Okay. I think that's a lot of what you guys are calling yourself these days. Yeah. Proofhead. I don't use that, but yeah. There's a couple, <laughs> a couple of the podcast guys in here a few weeks ago go, I'm a 120 guy. I'm a 120 guy. I'm like, cool. <laughs> my favorite my favorite is when I get when I hear uh tours down here and I'll just walk through and somebody somebody'll say something and some of the old or some of the old guys go, I'm a bourbon guy. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> we have never had one of those around here before. Where have you been? Where, where are you guys hiding these days? <laughs> so at, <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. They're children. They're <laughs> they're my children. So like, if I if I need to drink for two days straight, it's gonna be uh, my citrus honey vodka and seltzer. Okay, go. And I'll have one of those in my hand for twenty four hours straight, forty eight hours straight, and still be able to fucking act. Um, if it's part time, whiskey because they're delicious, and I'll stack them up. Sure. Uh, if. Uh, if it looks like I'm going to get in a shouting match at home later that evening, I'll kick on some tequila just to be ready for it. Uh, like I said, I'm not really allowed. I don't really allow myself to drink gin, gin in public, but it is one of my favorite things in life. But it's, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I vary. So this one is one of our, uh, one of my new liqueurs and Amari that I'm working in. Okay. And my new favorite thing is just that and soda. Sure. But it, I don't know. It's, it's all, I don't know. It's all instance based. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I, I am a fan of this just sitting down talking. Yeah. I'm a fan of Mike over here having gin and his buddy Mary for the first time and loving it and having a second one. That's a good time to me. Yeah. I enjoy being at a bar like upstairs and just watching people across the way. I don't necessarily wear the shirt all the time. I kind of hate being a brand whore. <laughs> so I like going incognito up there and just seeing people that are in for the first time and enjoying themselves. Absolutely. Because I'm helping them do that. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like you know, you put a gun in my head, I'd probably tell you I'm a scotch guy. Sure. I love scotch. People love scotch. But since I've started doing this and talking to more people about, you know, craft <laughs> uh craft bourbons and rye and whatnot, I've come much more I've always loved bourbon. Yeah. But I've come much more around to the complexities that are in bourbon. Sure. That sometimes are unpronounced. Exactly. So like I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird game because I mean I I'm kind of on the same page with you with Irish whiskey. Yeah. But it's not like it. Everything has its time and place. Yeah. I, I am not one to tell you that I will not drink the shot of Irish whiskey that you have purchased for me. That's fine. <laughs> Let's do it. And it's the, you can, you can stand on your laurels and viewpoints and sit there and wag your finger at people, or you can just have a good time. Right. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, I also enjoy scotch. A little bit too much. That is that is one where I will just that is my sloper. That is a lot of people think tequila is a sloper. Where like there's there's an old Jim Brewer skit, not skit, but bit that he does in his stand up where he's like, Your part your stomach when you're drinking is a party and like you have a couple beers and they're down there chilling, you have a couple whiskeys, they're down there having a good time. But you have a tequila 
And then all of a sudden, your tequilas are opening the windows up and like inviting their buddies into the party. And just all of a sudden, you got 20 tequilas in you. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just instance based. And the uh, scotch for me is a sloper. Yeah. Like, as soon as I have one scotch, there are going to be 20 scotches in my future. Yep. Especially Lefroig, oh, uh, the 10, the, the 15. There's one that I'm definitely glad that they don't make anymore. It's, uh, it's an old Carter series. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And they do one of those a year, and it was a 15, I believe, 15 year Lefroig finished off for a year in port wine barrels. Yeah, because the new one they have is Sauternes. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. port wine was good. The port wine was good, and. I bought, a buy, I bought two bottles of that, and then two days later, I had zero bottles. <laughs> and so the, that is how scotch goes in my life. <laughs> that sounds a lot like me. Yeah. I've got, actually, there's a, there is, like, uh, instant, not instant thing, but the government is, the government is nodding that they're about to turn American single malt into a designation. Yes. And so I've started squirreling away barrels for it. And I am. I want to put our single malt that we do for the KK out in a bottle by itself because I think it's fantastic, and nobody's ever tasted it by itself. Yeah. And we did. We have that one, and then also put into production a uh, like a dark chocolate malt. Ooh. That has a lot of your uh, like bitter flavors and coffee flavors in it. And we're literally just sitting around waiting for the government to make that designation so we can get our label approved and put that into a bottle. That's awesome. So those are those that'll be a that'll be a fun day when I can put that in a bottle. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. So I know all we have left is the Dirty Helen series. And, and between my friends and I who have been here quite a bit, um, Dirty Helen is always the bourbon we bring back home. Sure. Tell me about Dirty Helen. I mean it's it's a story more than anything else. We okay. were trying the as you know the market is barrel proof now yeah everybody wants a barrel proof everyone wants a barrel pick uh and so at the time we were looking to put out our barrel proof uh somebody approached a uh i think it was one of her distant relatives dirty helen was a uh a figure in milwaukee history she owned uh, a couple bars. I believe a brothel was in there. Probably paid off a cop here and there <laughs> way back when. There's a there's a book about her upstairs. Okay. And it was actually, it was timed with the Brook book release. And they approached us and like, how do we buy a barrel and put it out with this book? And like, I don't know let, us know, let us use the name and you don't really have to give us anything. Yeah. And so... Uh, we thought it was a fun thing. And we always try to tie something back to the community and the state that we live in. So that kind of just made sense. And it, as, as it's it's this juice. The rye is the same juice. The bourbon is the same juice. It's just a different expression. Gotcha. And even more than a different expression, it's going to be a different expression every time. Because it's literally impossible for you to put something into a barrel and know the proof that comes out of it. Right. A barrel is one of the more interesting, instance-based, fun things about this business because it's just magic. Mm -hmm. And because it's a natural product, you are signing away all of the juice and hard work that you made to a thing that might leak it all out. 
before you get to empty it. I've had a couple of those and it's real depressing. Oh my God. So you're talking about wood and you're talking about a tree. Where did that tree grow up? What kind of, what part of the tree did that wood come from? Like every single factor that you can think of factors into the flavor that that barrel gives your product. Yeah. Right. And so when, when these barrel proofs come out and you have a, printed proof on the label it's always a question in my mind like eh, i don't know and so like if you, if you look at the shelf every one of ours is written on my hand because it's going to change every single barrel that you empty right uh in wisconsin here every single barrel that i've put in and brought out the 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 climate leans towards we lose more water here than alcohol Whereas when we were buying in from MGP for the KK, every proof that they would, at least they would give me, uh, would come out at less. So the climate down there lends itself to losing alcohol in the barrel instead of the water. Interesting. Yeah. And so it's very like, like the whole territory based terroir based, like that leans itself heavily onto that. Yeah. And that's where your flavor and your reaction with the barrel come from. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. That's cool. Well, can we try some Dirty Helen? Yeah, like I said, this one's at 59.6. Uh, I think the f- we've gotten anywhere up to 65%. Yeah, out. I have a... And there's, it's regularly at 63 to 62. I have a 62 at home. Yeah. Um, from probably a couple years ago, but yeah. yeah. But it varies every every single time. Yeah. And I'll question every distillery that puts the same proof on every bottle of their barrel proof whiskey. It's well, that's all day long. Right. <laughs> it's just like going from the flagship to your bottle and bond to your barrel proof. You get a punch of more flavor just because you're not blending it out with water at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I I hate to be part of the statistic of these, this young crowd of loving barrel proof, but I mean, for one, for me personally, I like a higher proof in a cocktail. Sure. But then uh, flavor-wise, I mean, even just adding a couple drops of water to this really mm-hmm. opens it up. Mm-hmm. For a for a eighty-six proof, I wouldn't add water to it. By itself, it's great. Yeah. To this, maybe cut down the heat, and it's the, all that flavor there. Oh my god, I love it. Sure. But like I said, I've 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 had a couple bottles of uh, still and oak, but I always buy Dirty Helen. And bring it back home because it is what it is. That's that's the market right now. That's yeah. yeah. I'm a sh- I, my, I shouldn't be ashamed. I, I no. like what I like. Drink what you like. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we don't have time on this earth to. I don't know. Drink what other people say we should. Yeah. Like if you enjoy it, just go for it. Absolutely. I, I'm never like, I'm never gonna go to somebody's house. You said, <laughs> does that Jack Daniels? black label on your shelf Ugh. why don't you have a sinatra I'll pass it. <laughs> like but it's all like it's, it's all in how deep you want to get to it because i also don't understand the people that or the people that love to spout off that they have 150 bottles of bourbon at home like well in my mind you're slacking on a few of those like <laughs> just just drink it yeah i i just told you a story about how i Bought two rare bottles of scotch, and two days later, I had zero rare bottles of scotch. And I love that story more than if I was like, oh, I got three inches back on my shelf at home still. Just waiting. Just waiting for that day yep. when I'm going to crack it open again. It's going to happen. 
But if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, it's not. <laughs> I had a, a, a Benno's. They're they're closed down now, but uh, Benno's down in Greenfield. <laughs> yep, I live right there. Yeah, yeah. They uh they put on Facebook. It was just after I moved away. Um, that they had found uh, a set of three Shavas Regal um, Royal Salute. Oh. It was a the all three gems, and it was on a placard with a a, a clear case. Put it on Facebook and said, oh, I don't know what this is. It was in our basement. We were doing some remodeling. Um, uh, someone DM us. What do you think about the price? I'm like, I, so I, I texted a couple of our friends and I said, you guys know anything about this? Because I'm not a big Shavas guy. It's kind of you know, scotch. Yeah, but um, it sounds like they weren't either. So just go give them 20 bucks and so, steal yeah, something. We did some research. <laughs> we did some research. And we found that those bottles were going for about close to four to five hundred dollars on the second mirror market yep. each. Yep. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna message this guy. <laughs> and I said, uh, how about four hundred bucks for the set? And he's like, cool. You're the first person to message me. Sold. So I, I, of course, I opened one. There are two that still are closed, but they have the original Wisconsin label on them. Cool. This is a cool thing. They're from 1986. Oh, so they had the the tax stamp. The tax stamp. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. From 1986, and it's 21 year old Scotch. All right. That ingredient does not exist that whatever they made does not exist anymore and it's like i opened one up and it was uh it's a little cloudy but in the cork we had to break up and figure it out but it was pretty good we've had people drop off like bottles that they find in their parents basement when they clean out their parents house after they die and stuff like that yeah the bottle does nothing for the product No, no not at all and like that one i would go for the shivas from 86 Mm -hmm. sure but we've had ones brought in from like 1943 that just eh, no thanks there's there's a certain age and personally if specifically a whiskey if a whiskey can drink itself that's about as old as I'm gonna go yeah yeah after that more or less probably tastes like pencil shavings well honestly have you ever had the uh the mictors released a 25 year mm-hmm. it's like a five thousand dollar bottle because why not yeah it tastes like wood yeah i i yeah. was i was in kentucky and someone had bought some for the the table and it was like, okay cool thanks but uh somebody had a corporate card yeah yeah, yeah. that wasn't like bad but it was just like oh, this is overage just bourbon yeah. i don't know it's uh, i don't know it's just the it's a commercial thing that America does. We assign we assign value to age. Yes. And should we? Who's to say? Yeah, right. But I just find the I find the ignorance laughable. <laughs> I, I worked for a scotch company for a few years before I started in this, just doing sales. And I would run tastings and have uh, old white guys walking in the room. Give me the oldest thing you got. Cool. Here you go. It's nice to already know that you're ignorant. <laughs> but it's just every every single product on the market has its different nuances, its different complexities. Like These three things taste completely different, but they're the exact same juice. Right. So to walk in a room and assume that you have enough knowledge to go, I know the best one, give me that one. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I find that all that that whole side of the market to just be a little laughable. Yeah, I'd uh, agree with that. There's there's a couple places in town that have like I don't know the largest bourbon collection a bar has ever assembled. <laughs> we've got 
We've got a bourbon that you can buy for 350 bucks a pour. Cool, I'll pass on that. Yeah. Next, I'll get one for like 15 and just be fine. Yep. Because it's like there's there's a leveling off of deliciousness. And then there's a cliff. Right. <laughs> and right. I, personally, I think that cliff's right around 21 years old. Well, uh, last but not least, let's try out the Dirty Helen Rye, which sure. is a new one. Uh, yeah, that was last year. Yeah, because Dirty Helen's been around for a while. Yeah, we did that. The Dirty Helen was 2016, and I think it was just, I don't, I can't tell you, like, why it took us so long to put this one in the bottle, but it did. And like you said, this is the same juice. Same juice. Impressive. You can almost get a concentrated flavor. Uh, you, if you sit and you nitpick and you stay sober enough, <laughs> you can follow through and get your same flavor profile and complexities through the whole line, which I'm quite proud of. Yeah. But that's so good. It is definitely more flavor packed than before. What's the, uh, What's the most popular uh, that sells? I mean, uh, the orange label. No. It's just the amount that that goes out is far and above. I think production-wise, we're doing about 70-30 okay. bourbon to rye wow. these days. And that, I might have to kick that down. <laughs> just because it's the, the bourbon market has skyrocketed. I don't have to tell you that. Yeah. But, but it doesn't show any signs of well, I think there was a there was an ADI email a couple years back when it was like, oh, the rye market has increased 5% this year. <laughs> like, oh, sweet. Yeah. Uh, cute. That's cute. Yeah. But it's just like, it's, I, I, for some reason... America has latched onto this, and I, I don't even know what to tell you when you ask why. Like, America has latched onto this. Bourbon is our spirit. We are going to drink that. We are going to drink more and more of that all the time. And that is the end of the story. Well, when I go to the store in, so in Virginia, it's all, it's all uh, state-controlled liquor yep. stores on, like, yeah. Wisconsin. Um, you can find an M- <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. pain in the ass. It sucks. But you can find MSRP, uh, like Blanton's for sixty bucks, mm-hmm. or Bethel Trace for thirty-five. Sure. Uh, you go across the border in Maryland or DC, where there's it's the Wild West. Yeah. Uh, you can find you can find a Buffalo Trace bottle for about seventy-five dollars. Jesus. And now it's and I I attribute that lovingly to uh, Mr. Podcast Joe Rogan because he's sponsored by them, and uh, the young crowd who listens to him uh, sure. listens. Oh, Buffalo Trace is the oldest distillery. That must be they're the best ever. It's not bad bourbon. But it's also like, at what point are you overpaying for something that's just because of the name? Well, I mean, I just told you a story about the oldest guy that I saw walking in the room asked for the oldest thing possible. Right. Now you've got the youngest people in the room walking and going, give me the Joe Rogan. <laughs> whatever, whatever he talks about, give me that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's the same, same kind of thing. It's just a different end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. So last, last big question for you sure. before we wrap up. What what are some things we can look forward to from Great Lakes? Ugh, struggling to find new ideas. <laughs> uh, no, I, that's that's a joke. We like uh, I try to do 
I try to have a new R&D project in every vein that we have here. If, like, if possible. Uh, currently, uh, I mean, unless it's vodka. I don't really care about vodka. But, like, we have two. That's enough. I don't need to, I don't need 16 different colors of flavors sitting on a shelf. So that will probably stay the same. Uh, I like, I have, even though I've got eight gins on the market, I have a R&D project I'm working on with gin. Uh, I've got one that I'm poking around with trying to do an aquavit. I went to, I went to Iceland last year and fell in love with Brennavin again. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a gorgeous thing. And so now I'm like, well, I've only got three inches of that bottle of Brennavin left at home. <laughs> Where am I going to get some more? Well, I got to fucking make it. <laughs> so there's an Aquavit project. There's my uh, current Amari project, which is like trying to expand on what I think Campari should be. Sure. And uh, like there's there's things that historically the boss man wants me to hit. Like we're in Milwaukee. He wants a ginger brandy. Oh, yeah. I've been ignoring that request for literally eight years so like at one point in time i'll probably have to get around to it uh i don't it's it's all in what's what's in the front of the head and what's in the back of the head like it's, it, you can make anything and yeah. everything yeah there's more there's more cooking to this than pretty much anything else so like as much as you can take the same five ingredients and make five different dishes, you can do that with spirits too. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, yeah, stuff. We'll have more stuff out. Cool. Like we we got stuff in the work, stuff that's gonna come out this year. We have I get bored and throw these same juices into different barrels. So oh, yeah. like for Black Friday this year, we started to a couple years ago. Uh, I, t I took a couple barrels of bourbon, just threw them into a couple of Black Friday barrels that Lakefront had just dumped for their beer. And we're like, hey, you want these? Sure, bring them down. So now that's sitting right over there and it's going to get bottled up as a Imperial Stout finished bourbon available on Black Friday. And I've only got two barrels of it. So, I mean, if any whiskey nerds listening out there, come on down, grab one. <laughs> right. That'll probably be pretty delicious. And so I've got those two. I've got a, I've got two barrels of rye in those same those same type of barrels sitting over in the warehouse. Four months ago, I was like, I have this problem where I think of stupid ideas and I can't get them out of my head. Where I was dumping uh, gin barrels to bottle just the the barrel aged. And I was like, what if I put some rye whiskey in there? Well, that's Ooh. stupid. And then I woke up the next day thinking about it. I'm like, is it? I don't know that that's stupid. Try it out. Try it out. Yeah. So now I have a couple barrels of rye whiskey sitting in gin barrels. Oh. So like maybe a year, year and a half from now, like that'll be a one-time shot coming out. So that, as far as the whiskey program is going, because I know you focus on that. That is probably going to be much because there's there's a there's less of an end to that than what I was telling you before. Like I can only hang on to like 
eight barrels of regular bourbon a year right. that I don't have necessarily have to sell that I can continue putting the bottled and bond, putting the, uh, you know, whatever, a six or an eight year that we come up with right, right. down the line. Other than that, it's going to be these like one-off shoots that just come out and go and they're gone. I got... I just put in some uh, bourbon into apple brandy barrels. Oh, wow. To finish it. And so, like, all of these hit the straight bourbon mark. So they all... You have to be able to put an age statement on your on your label. Yeah, yeah. So as long as they hit the straight whiskey mark, and I think something isn't really that stupid, it's probably going to happen. That's so uh, those those are more of the the different fun things that like will come out because that that Black Friday bourbon like does, we're not gonna ship any to a liquor store no. so like these are the things that you just have to come here and kind of be here at the time and then say I had this one yeah and then a couple of years from now I go I got three inches left of that one <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's that's part of the fun of the, the, mm-hmm. what I've learned from craft distillers. You just get to play. Yeah. Have fun. So, yeah. well, I appreciate what you're doing. And you. uh, I mean, it's I will always have a special place in my heart for Great Lakes. Sure. So you're uh, you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just a drunk that found the right vein to jump into. <laughs> no, it's 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 not hard. Nothing, nothing that I do in this place is revolutionary or anything that anybody hasn't done in the last 500 years right it is just like it's just you you strike lightning and you stick with it yeah and like i i tell a lot of people when they go like oh like you make some good whiskey thank you you could also do that (laughs) and i tell people like I'll tell you every single recipe of a barrel of of grain that I have in, and I will give you that grain, and I will give you my equipment to use. You won't make the same thing that I do, because uh, when it breaks, when it comes, when, when it all comes down to it, it's flavor profiles. It is the purpose, the person making it. Mm-hmm. It is as much science as it is cooking and art beautiful well i nate i appreciate having me here at the distillery this no has problem. been an amazing experience and uh i mean i tell everyone about great lakes anyway so cool th- this has been awesome so thank you man no no problem cheers appreciate it cheers thank you thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews, the easier we are to find. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow us on social media so you never miss any of our updates. Be sure to share this episode with your friends, and always be sure to drink responsibly. There are quite literally thousands of distilleries, so we're just getting started. Stay tuned for more conversations with master distillers, distillery owners, mixologists, and even bar owners, and more. Cheers.